And we're live. Hello and a very warm welcome to Not The 92 Extra with me, Greg Clark. As always, I'm your host and I'm joined as ever by the mercurial magician from the kingdom of Margate, Tom Mitchell. I hope you're all keeping well as we look forward to the impending new National League season. But before we get introducing our brilliant guest tonight, we do pay homage to our sponsors. So as you'll have heard in previous week's podcasts, we've entered into a partnership with renowned non-league kit manufacturing experts, Farrelly's Sports. Farrelly's Sports was established in 2018 with the vision to reinvent the relationship between the club and the supplier. Now, I can personally vouch for this as I'm currently sitting in the Billingham Symphonia away kit with Not The 92 podcast emblazoned on my back. And I've got to say, guys, I look a million dollars, right? There's no denying it now, right? So, so what I must say is, Get in touch with them online, on social media. In their own words, they don't take part, they take over. You can find them on Facebook by searching Farrelly Sports and also on Twitter. Welcome to the National League party, my friends. Anyway, we're joined tonight by a very special guest and one I'm left with absolutely no doubt you'll be familiar with as one of the brightest managerial talents in the National League. Following on from club legend Paul Doswell, he safely guided Sutton United to safety in his first full season as manager. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce Matt Gray. Matt, what's been happening? Uh, good, uh, good to see you, boys. Um, what's been happening is obviously we've come back to pre-season and after an extremely long break, it's just been great to get back into the club and back in seeing the lads and playing our first pre-season game the other day and looking forward to the second one tomorrow. Nice one. I mean, obviously, we just came out the government-backed scheme you took to help out. Did you enjoy it while it was on for the month? I don't think I used that. I might have used it once, actually, Greg. I didn't, I didn't use it too much. Um, but, uh, no, I, you know, the support that the government has given us and, and the NHS and everything, it's, it's been, a, it's been a good what they've been doing for us. So, uh, but I didn't take too much of advantage of that scheme. <laughs> well, you probably look at me and Tom and think we've used our entire lives, that scheme. But no, I can promise you we haven't. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> Just get the wee digs in there first. But anyway, yeah. so what I must start by saying is it's a real pleasure to have you on for a chat on the show. I mean, in terms of the season being back, um, you must be very excited. It's ma- a matter of weeks away now. Given the fact that it was ended so prematurely last season, what was your main frustration about that? And how excited are you for the upcoming season with the boys? Well, obviously, if you're just talking on a football level, obviously the frustration is just how well we were playing at the time and the role we were on. And there was a real good feel feel good factor around the club at the time with, you know, the supporters and, and the players and the staff and the board and we were all going in one direction and, you know, we maybe could have nicked a last minute winner there against Hartlepool in that last game. And we, I think, I think we were eight points off the playoffs with eight games to go. Would we have got there? I'm not, I'm not too sure, but we was only going in one direction. We were certainly, certainly have had a, a right good crack at it, you know, so it, it was certainly frustrating to finish because you, in my first season as a manager as well, you want to you want to finish it off and try and finish as high up the league table as we possibly can. I certainly think we would have definitely been a top half team. Um, but you know now I've managed to keep fifteen of that that squad that finished. Uh, added a couple in, trying to add one or two more in potentially as well. So you know if we can just try and hit the ground running this year where we finished off last year, hopefully it'll be exciting times ahead. And obviously, the season was ground to a very, very sudden halt. At the time, how did you feel about the prospect of being away from your players for so long? Because at the time, we didn't really know how long it would be. No, it's, it's, exactly. Probably wasn't the prospect of being away for so long because we, we didn't know how long we were going to be away for. You know, it was, you know the, the initial thing is, right, we, we know that we're going to be off for a, 
you know, a good while. Um, so, it was, you know, from, from minute one, I was the hectic season that we have and the amount of games we had to play with the small squad that we've got, it was very much right. Just have a bit of a downtime here. Tick yourself over, um, you know, go out for walks, little light jogs, get on your bike or whatever. But I didn't want them doing too much. And then there was sort of whispers and rumours here and there that we, oh, we might come back, we might finish the season, we might have to come back in June. So it was trying to plan for every eventuality, really. Uh, to one, let the players rest, which was important, but also make sure they were a level that if suddenly we got the news that we'd have to come back in X amount of weeks' time, that they were then ready to go. So, um, but, you know, listen, as things materialised over the summer, we, we, we knew we weren't going to get back. And then we knew the season, obviously, was then going to be, you know, cancelled at that time. And we're going to be, then obviously went on to a points per game, then on to the playoffs that was, wasn't going to feature us. So we knew it was then just waiting to hear when we were looking to restart. Um, and, and we gave the players a, a four-week off-season programme, really, to, to ramp it up each week, uh, to start increasing the intensity of their fitness levels and, and get themselves into a shape. So when we come back to pre-season, once we've got that start date of 3rd of October, you know, I'm very much keen on working on my pre-season back off that start date. So we then got a pre-season start date to come in and, and start getting us back in. But I've, I've been extremely pleased. That's one of the things I'm quite big on in, when I'm trying to build a team and squad and the energy and the fitness levels and the athleticism I, I want in my team and my squad. And, um, you know, certainly there from day one of pre-season, they came back in great shape um, and, and they're, they're really looking fit. Now. So now it's not so much getting them fit. It's now just getting them sharp and football ready, um, really. So, you know, the, the intensity and training is starting to be picked up with their running and the ball work that we do. And, and now we're into the games and, you know, the, we're starting number two tomorrow of, of our six. And hopefully by the sixth pre-season game at, at Dorking Wanderers, then we're back to a level where we finished off at Hartlepool back in March. We'll touch more on Southern United um, throughout the interview because I know the listeners have a lot of questions for you. Um, but, but I suppose I personally like to throw it right back to the start, to where it all began for you. Like, where did you grow up and what team did you support growing up? Where did I grow up? I grew up in Barnet, still live here now, uh, in Barnet. So, in Barnet, you're, a, you're either a Tottenham or Arsenal fan <laughs> in North London. So, um, but my, my dad's family, my dad and my granddad are all massive Tottenham fans. So, I didn't have a choice, to be honest. Um, it, it was ingrained, massive football family. Uh, my dad, my granddad, my brother as well, very... Uh, um, massively, all, all, all of us are into our, our football hugely, and, and, a, and a local club called Hadley as well. We've, we play at Step Five um, of the non-league period, so I, I grew up watching Hadley as my dad and my granddad, but supporting Tottenham, and, and also then living in Barnet, watching Barnet in in those days when I was a kid, and, and spending many time, many times or Saturday afternoons and evening games down watching Barnet at Underhill, their old ground, uh, Barry Fry era, and, and watching them get promoted to the Football League for the first time, and some some good days down there. So. You know, Tottenham fan, Barnet, born and bred, but, you know, just, just massively into my football and, and that's sort of my background in the early years. You must have made your family, if at all, massive Spurs fans. You must have made them so proud when you eventually began your own career with Tottenham Hotspur. Now, what was it like coming through there and did anyone else you played with go on to have a successful career from the youth team you were in? Yeah, it's, I actually had three years at Arsenal as a schoolboy first before I signed with Tottenham at 16. So, um I remember actually getting scouted for Arsenal when I was 13 and, and uh, saying to my dad when I came home from a district game that, um, that I'm going to go and get invited to train with Arsenal this week. And he said, like, what are we going to do here? It's a serious, like a serious consideration. <laughs> are we going to take this up? <laughs> um, obviously, I was very adamant that I would do. But yes, yeah, so I wore the Arsenal shirt for three years. 
before uh, signing for Tottenham at 16. Um, but yeah, in that, in the, I suppose in the Spurs days, in, the, in that youth team there, there was, it was the first year um, of the new academy structure, um, how it got restructured. So it used to just to be one youth team at under 18 level and that was it. But now we came into the new Premier, and I think they played in the South East Counties there, so they'd only really play against London-based teams. But it was the first season um, of the new academy structure and there was the under-17 team, there was the under-19 team, and we all sort of trained and played together. Um, and I actually had a good pre-season in my first year at Spurs and, and uh, ended up making my first game as a 16-year-old for the under-19s on the first game of the Premier League season at home to Liverpool. And Steve Gerrard played that day, actually, uh, in a, in a one-all draw. Uh, Ledley King was my centre-half partner and, uh, and Peter Crouch was up front. So uh, there's a there's a few names on that on the pitch that day. Obviously, like you say, went on to have good careers. But Ledley, Peter Crouch, Ledley obviously went on to the first team at Spurs. Peter Crouch had to go away first and come back because um, he got sold to QPR, um, I think, without making the first team appearance at Spurs, at Spurs before having to come back um, a few moves later. But uh, Johnny Jackson, who uh, went and played a handful of first team games as well, was in my youth team and went on and had a good good career in uh, in the football league and is now assistant manager at Charlton. So they'll probably be the three standout names from that that era. You still keep in touch with the likes of Ledley, Crouchy and Johnny? Uh, not so much Ledley and, and, and Crouchy. I, I bumped into him over the years and, and always have a catch up. You know, I'm still I'm Spurs fans, so I still go to Spurs games and I bumped into Ledley a couple of times and just have a quick catch up. Uh, Jack, I still speak to. Um, you know, I still touch base with him, especially with him being at Charlton. Um, with players, etc., and I've rang him up about maybe under 23 players at Charlton or anything we can possibly do. So I, I do every now and again uh, have a bit of contact still with Jacko, but uh, the other two is more when I bump into him, really. Could you tell back then, obviously he was your direct defensive partner, um, could you tell back then, despite his injuries that curtailed his career, that he would go on to have a career he did, play for England at European Championships, World Cups? Yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> he was, you know, I'm trying to break through at Tottenham and I'm a centre-half and he's a centre-half and he's head and shoulders better than me. <laughs> um, let alone me trying to break into the reserve centre-halves that, they're, that they were there at the time, as well as the first-team players. There was about, I don't know, seven or eight centre-halves ahead of me at the time, but Ledley soon pushed through the, the, the lot of them, really. He was, he, even at that young age, though, he struggled with injuries and, and had to manage his body, but he was just phenomenal. He could, he could play literally anywhere, two-footed, quick, athletic, uh, he could do everything, Ledley. He was, he was absolutely outstanding. It's absolutely no surprise at all to, for him to go on and play for Tottenham first team and, and to go on in England. And I'm sure if he hadn't ever had the injuries uh, that could tell his career, I think he would have been, if not one of the best centre-halves this country has ever produced. And, yeah, and what a nice guy as well. Who were the kind of big characters around the club at the time? Like, I mean, like managers, coaching staff, first team players. And uh, do you have any like, funny stories or like... Were you on the end of any funny pranks at the time? Oh, put me on the spot there with uh, that. Uh, Character-wise, you know, it was a hell of a learning curve. Every, George Graham was the manager, the first team manager, and uh, every Friday morning the U team would play against the first team, every Friday morning uh, in a 20-30 in a minute game, uh, obviously getting the first team ready for the, for the game the following day. But the, the big influences there, you certainly learned about the discipline with George Graham because he was petrifying. And, and we weren't just the youth team who we were scared of him, it was the first team as well. Um, you know, we'd be in a canteen and Ginola's and Sol Campbell's and everyone would be, you know, having a crack and a laugh and, and he'd walk in and it'd just be dead silence. You know, everyone would be very wary when the, when the boss was around. But um, Tim Sherwood was quite a big influence. Um, he, was, he was captain of the club at the time and 
he was a really nice guy, Tim. I, um, I sort of really looked up to him and, and he used to come and watch a bit of the youth team training and, he, you know, he'd asked me to help him out with certain things job-wise and he'd, he was always always look after me. Um, you know, financially, give me 50 quid at the time and I was probably on 76 quid a week, I think the uh, youth team wage was at the time and he'd give me 50 quid to get a couple of balls signed after training. Uh, meant, a, meant a lot to me, you know. So, you know, Tim Sherwood is a real big character, a leader, a winner and I, I really looked up to someone like him. Um, I was boot boy to Darren Anderson uh, and John Scales. Didn't have to clean their boots too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't training every day. We'll tell uh, him that, man. <laughs> uh, no, two, two really nice guys as well. You know, and it's a shame that's it's gone out of the game because the jobs and, and, and what you had to do before and after our training and being in and around that first team squad and the contact we had with the first team players certainly gave us huge experience um, both on and off the pitch and and then, you know, doing the jobs and then giving you a little drink at Christmas and, you know, those sort of things. Are, it's a real shame it's gone out of the game because it was a, a massive part of my learning curve and, and shaped me as a person and as a character to where I am today. Um, Franks wise, I mean, there's so many football. Talking about characters, Ledley was a quiet character. Um, Ledley, you know, was a, a quiet character and just went about his job. He, he never really knew. Ledley just sort of sat there, went out and played, was outstanding, and came back in and went home. Whereas Peter Crouch was one of the funniest guys I've I've come across. And uh, yeah, Peter, I, I didn't drive at the time, I hadn't passed my test. And me, me living in Barnet, the training ground was in Chigwell, and Peter's from um, Ealing. Hang on, Lynn. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah it's from Ealing, so uh, Ealing Way. So he used to drive around the North Cirque in his lime green Volkswagen Polo. Uh, and used to drop me off by Arnas Grove. Um, so the things we used to get up to around the North Circuit, probably, uh, I probably couldn't go into too much there because looking back, they weren't too safe. <laughs> but we certainly were mucking about and uh, me and two or three of the other lads uh, when he used to give us lifts and with his car still going back. So, uh, no, some, some good times. How would Crouchy fit in that car? I know, no one got in behind him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call the graveyard shift on the car school, isn't it? <laughs> so what led to your Spurs exit if you're in the youth team playing alongside very good players such as Crouchy, learning from the likes of Sherwood and Anderton and Darren Scales you mentioned? And what led to your Spurs exit? Just not being good enough, Greg. Um, as simple as that, you know, I was captain of the youth team, you know, at youth team level, you know, very good. But once you, once you start trying to step up, um, you know, I probably made however many reserve team games I made probably getting on for double figures in the reserves uh, at different times and, and played against some obviously very good players. But you, sh- you shouldn't have looked at the level, probably comparing Ledley and, and the players you're looking to. I was never going to be you know, a Premier League player and I was never going to be able to break into to Tottenham's first team. So at 19, you know, I got told the news that I didn't think I was going to get to that level. So I was, I was to go and, and move elsewhere and, and try and pursue a career elsewhere. Can you remember the exact moment you were told that? Because I have, would have a few players on here who do say that it's like, in a dichotomy of like, you know, way of saying it, like it's the day that can actually make them or break them completely. Uh, yeah. And like, they can go one of two ways. Um, hearing the news that you're not getting a full-time contract that's burst, did that, how, how did you react to that? Um, I remember, I just remember it's clear as anything. And I'll never forget it. I remember being in the office, I remember getting told. I remember going around to the back of the boot room, around the back of the corner, ringing my dad uh, and crying. <laughs> uh, not ashamed to admit, you know, just absolutely devastated because it was the best, you know, to be a Tottenham fan, boyhood, grow up, to be in that training ground, that environment um, for those years and, and, and enjoy it. 
don't get me wrong, extremely tough leaving at six o'clock in the morning after to get two buses just to get to White Hart Lane to get a minibus down and all the jobs and everything that we had to do and how tiring it was, but how great it was and I wouldn't change it for the world and, and to have that taken away as well as your dream of, of you potentially not going on to, to, to play in Tottenham's first team is, is, is obviously uh, very, very disappointing and gutting. But and I was injured at the time as well. I got a really bad knee injury, so it was, it was not like I could do anything. I got a bit bad injury probably uh, two months before. Um, and I was still in like a knee cast. I'd had an operation. I was I was not in a good place physically either. And, and uh, it wasn't like I could go and put it right. And I, it wasn't like I could go immediately onto another club or two to try and get a trial and get proven who I could go and play for. I knew I was going to be out for another four months with my knee injury. So it wasn't a good time. But uh, it's character building and it certainly makes you stronger. Certainly, I do agree with that. Um, you moved on to Cardiff City. Now, they are in a strange, I suppose, like situation where they're probably the biggest club in Wales, but they play in the English pyramid system. Um, how, did you, how did that move come about? And like, how did you find living in Cardiff? Um, the move came about, that it was sort of, there wasn't many agents around it. Nowadays, everyone's got an agent yeah. <laughs> at all levels. And there weren't many agents about, especially for the, the youth team players. When we were at Spurs, you know, under-19s at Tottenham and probably maybe one or two probably led in that, and that would have an agent. But um, the rest of us didn't. Nowadays, you've probably yeah. been under 12 and you've got an agent. You know, <laughs> it's, you know it's, it's mad how, it, how it's changed. But, you know, I got released from Spurs. Obviously, I had a decent pedigree and... You know, I was hoping to still make a career in the lower levels of the football league. Um, but I had this injury and, and, and I wasn't fit for the pre-season. And I wasn't fit again till around the September time. And, and an agent that got in contact with a local agent and, and sort of we sort of half knew of him. And, and suddenly I, I was I was really training hard on my own. Um, and Tottenham were good to me as well. Even though they released me, they still let me go back and use their facilities and, and got me up okay. to a level fitness-wise. So they still looked after me on that front, which was, which was excellent of them. And, I remember being in a, a local pub, I, well, I didn't drink at the time, but I was, I was just having a half a Coke and watching an England game on a Wednesday night. And this agent, the, the agent called me up out of nothing and said, right, pack your bags, we're going to Cardiff in the morning. They're a centre-half short for Saturday at Orient away. And uh, and you're going to Cardiff in the morning. And I was like, right, crikey, I haven't played since, I think it was like February, March time. I haven't played. It was, I got injured at Chelsea away in an undernight at their training ground. And... Now I'm potentially playing against Orient in League Two on on the Saturday. I, I, I hadn't even played a game, <laughs> not even a, a friendly. So I was a bit, you know, wary myself. But you know, got in the car five o'clock or whatever it was, and, and he drove me down to Cardiff. And Bobby Gould was the manager, and uh, and I trained that Thursday morning. Um, he said he, he had a chat with me after training, and he said, "Look, I want to sign you. I'm going to sign you on a contract for a year, uh, but I think Saturday might be a bit too soon." And as much as I wanted to make my league debut or, or, or play against Orient, I, I was like, I just don't feel it's quite ready for me either. And I wouldn't want to let anybody down. And so I ended up been playing against Orient, um, but then signed for them. Um, uh, and a mad sign. Cardiff, Sam, a man, ex crazy yeah. gang, Wimbledon, do the Eye Yeah, do the Eye At Ninian Park, unbelievable atmosphere, yeah. ferocious yeah. atmosphere, really. Um, Cardiff loved the place where I lived really had, had everything uh, in such a tight-knit area really enjoyed my year there living there but signed them didn't play against Orient following week played my first reserve game cut my eye concussed stitches missed two weeks come back rolled my ankle training missed another three weeks couldn't get fit 
and um, probably trying to force myself to get fit and, and had probably silly minor little injuries, which, which I'd never had in my career. I'd never been injured until Tottenham until I got injured that day at Chelsea. I've never missed a training session at Spurs all the time I was there. Um, but suddenly I'd, I've got a bad knee injury, a long time out, and now I'm trying to force coming back to try and play for Cardiff and just picking up really bad little niggy ones playing in, in reserve games and, and couldn't break in and couldn't get into a team because of my fitness levels and, and games into a team that was flying high, finished second in the league, got promoted, came second to Brighton that season and now find themselves a League One club and I'd signed a one-year deal, hardly played um, and they were they were moving on and, and, and trying to work up to obviously the size of the club they are now and you know, having not played any games, I couldn't get myself another deal. What's Cardiff City now? There's a new generation of Cardiff fans who won't remember the name Park. Um, no. I mean, like they play a lovely new developed stadium, decent team in the park, been in Premier League last year, um, some good players. Um, what was, and obviously under a kind of different ownership structure now into what they were, you mentioned Sam Hamam there. Now he's got a reputation in the, in the game for being quite a, I think it's fair to say, a maverick owner. Um, that may be wrong, may be right. Um, would he come into the dressing room and like give pep talks and that, or was it just, was it just too hands on? Uh, no, he'd, he'd be fully involved. Uh, he'd be, uh, yeah, he'd, he'd be there. And, and it, that was such an eye opener, Cardiff. You know, I'm, I'm now going into, I'm now in a first team environment. I'm now training with the first team every day or, or when I was fit. But, um, you know, the, the lower league mentality, the drinking culture, the, the, the Wednesday, the Wednesday afternoon, old school, we're out drinking in the pubs every Wednesday afternoon, wearing bin liners for training on a Thursday. You know, it wasn't me, but it was, you know, I was like, what's going, you know, what's this all about? And Sam and man, I remember Bobby Gould signed me, but within a week, two weeks, three weeks, out a short period of time, he moved upstairs as director of football and Alan Cork, the assistant, took over as manager. And uh, Alan Cork won manager in a month, one, one of these months. And uh, we used to train at a really rough estate called Lan Rumley on the outskirts of Cardiff. And uh, it was a million miles away from anywhere. And we was down on these big sports facilities, a big sports playing field and uh, a big cold concrete building as our, our block really. And uh, Sam, my man's come down into the change room after training and uh, one training ground, he said, uh, one training down, he said, um, Corky's one manager in a month and I've taken all his wheels off his Mercedes in the car park and his car's on bricks. And if any one of you players give him a lift back to the ground, I'm going to find you two weeks wages. Um, Sorry, so uh, I'm going to find you, t- find you two weeks' wages. So we've come out onto all getting in our cars, all driving back to the ground, all going back to our, where we were staying. And uh, Corky was fuming, absolutely fuming. And everyone's just waving out the car and waving and whatever. And that was it. So Corky was, yeah, not happy at all. So I don't know, a week, week later, uh, after training, um, Alan Cork said to pull all the players in and said, uh, Right, as a meeting back at Ninian Park after training. I want everyone back at the ground, say, 1.30 meeting. I want everyone in the dressing room back at Ninian Park. So he was like, right, okay, didn't know what it was about. All, all parts up and the, the car park was opposite uh, the main stand. And yes, across the road. Walked in the players' entrance and, and the, the players' tunnel. And it was an L-shape. So you walk straight down, turn left, walk to the other end, and then the change, change rooms opened up. But on the corner of the L was, was Sam Man's office. So we've turned up, parked in the car park. Um, there's a farmer's van, big van, um, outside the my players' entrance. So we've walked down the tunnel on the corner, Sam and, Man's, and we're hearing these sheep are in his office. 
and the smell was horrendous. And Alan Corker's revenge has basically got two sheep from the farm and put them in Sam and Man's office. There was obviously, as you can imagine, a lot of mess, a lot of straw, uh, a horrendous smell, and two sheep uh, in Sam and Man's office. <laughs> so we've all had to go in the dress room, be dead quiet, while Sam and Man thinks he's coming for a quarter to two meeting, say, with Alan Cork, walks into his office and finds two sheep there, and he's going absolutely mental. <laughs> absolutely mental. But loved it. But absolutely loved it. But uh, no, very hands-on. We'd be in the change room at half-time, full-time, walking around while I managed to talk with him, saying, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a cup of tea? You know, very eccentric character. And uh, what an experience that was for a year. <laughs> He's certainly getting the reputation, I think. Cardiff were beating Leeds in the FA Cup 2-1. And he just came on the side of the pitch, started an Ayatollah to the fans. They're laughing up. He used, to, he used to believe he could suck the ball in so he'd go and stand behind the goal, especially second half. And he'd you know, get all the crowd going, doing the Ayatollah. And yeah, what a character. <laughs> what were this squad? Who did you play with? And what would they think of this behaviour? Um, it, was, it was a bit... Crazy gang-ish, I suppose, with Alan Cork and that. It was constant pranks. You're constantly looking over your shoulder. Um, it was a different world to what I'd been used to. Um, but listen, there's some good players there. Rob Earnshaw was, was young and coming through. James Collins, centre-half, who obviously wanted to play for Wales, West Ham. Uh, Reese Weston, um, Danny Gabadon. Um, they had a very good team there. They had a, they had a, good, they had a good side there. And, uh, but sort of mixed in with the young players like that who were really high thought of and were going to go on to, obviously, and did make... Yeah, great careers, mixed in with his sort of older, experienced pros who had been around the block and, and knew what it was all about. And uh, yeah, I certainly learned a few things. Of course, <laughs> um, it certainly sounds like it as well, Matt. Um, I think there's, there's like a mad stat, like Rob Earnshaw is the only player to have scored a hat-trick in all four divisions. I think that's yeah. a stat. Yeah, yeah I, think, I, think, I think it still um, stands true to this day. I may be wrong. Yeah, and the FA Cup and the League Cup, I think, as well. And for his country. Of course, as well, Shaz, yeah, right? I think, <laughs> yeah. I think I've used that as a quick quiz question, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Did you steal that from me? I <laughs> think you may have done. <laughs> but also, um, of course, um, uh, thanks very much. I appreciate that. I remember you saying that to me at the time, actually. I was buzzing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not like, um, of course, you have a very, you know, well, lengthy playing career, but was your mind and intentions beyond playing always in coaching or did you have different intentions obviously you're a director of a business you have different outside interests from football was it always head straight I want to get to coaching uh, yeah yeah I, I, no first and foremost playing but I always knew when always knew that when I'd stop playing whenever that time would be turns out it was 25 not 35 that you know you probably hope it to be that I'd want to go into the coaching and management route with, without a doubt. I, I'd, I've always had that eye for it. I've always, and I don't know why, but I, I went to like an England trial at under 15 at Kiel University, uh, last 40 in England, and coming back into my little door, my little room I had there, and I was writing down the sessions that we'd done in the day. Um, you know, just just always thinking why they're doing this and always looking at the organisation and structure and being sent half and looking at the tactical side of the game and, and, and being organised on that. I definitely, definitely um, thought that that was what I want to do. And that's probably why I set my business up as well. Um, I've got the, as I said earlier, that John Scales was, I was boot boy to him and he had business interests. And I remember speaking to him one day, um, plucking up the courage to speak to him because I had that relationship with him. Just say, look, John, what, do you mind me asking, you know, what you're doing in your car with your headphone, your laptop and whatever. And he had other business interests all the time. He was still playing football. He had a business and was earning money outside of it as well. So, he had like 
a double income, if you like. So I was, I was always thinking, well, why don't I do that? Or can I do that? You know, that got my mind thinking. Then I went to Cardiff. It wasn't until I come back to Cardiff that I started to set that up, knowing that football, not just as a player that you could finish at any time, which turns out I did, but also with the coaching and the management, it's so fickle. One minute you're in, one minute you're out. And how long are you going to be out for that when you get a family and paying mortgages and different things, can you, can you afford to be out of the game for without, and then, and then say you do get another job, you know, is it that risk of now, do I take this football job back because of the risk factors? Out, you know, where I've maybe got a steady nine to five here that I know is paying the mortgage and paying the bills, you know? So I, I always, football's my life, football's my passion. It always has been, and I always want to be in it. And I love every second of it. And, and me setting up the business has allowed me to, to have those times when I've had the spells out of the game, um, knowing that I'm okay and can be patient, ready to wait for the right job to come up for me to get back in it. Excellent. And of course, um, that's kind of led to you having a... Well, initially, of course, you were an assistant manager, uh, as well as being a coach. Um, you were at Eastleigh, Aldershot, Crawley Town. How did you find being the right-hand man for the main man? I uh, loved it, and I think it was perfect at the time. Um, with, with all the different managers I worked under, uh, Ian Baird and, and Dean Holdsworth, then Aldershot and Andy Scott, uh, Dermot Drummy at, at Crawley. Um, it was, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be a manager one day, but I was, you know, I was 25 when I first was assistant manager at Eastleigh. Obviously very, very young. I'm in no rush to be a manager and I, and I really enjoyed the coaching and I wanted to be hands-on. Plus I was the player's age, as well, you know, or if not younger than a few of them. So, you know, I, I was that real good link between the dressing room and, and the lads and the manager. And I played that role, I, I would like to think, reasonably well. Uh, and plus, I, I built up my knowledge of, of coaching and actually doing work on the pitch, as well as learning off the managers that I've just mentioned, who are all brilliant and all good in their different ways and, and they're different in their different ways as well. So it, it taught, taught me a lot of, of, of their of how they do things and the experiences they've gone through. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, th I think those four clubs and those 12 years I've had of being an assistant has really stood me in good stead and, and to, to ready to make the step to be a manager. Uh, and I, I certainly felt I was in the right place to do that at the time when, when Sutton asked me to be it. Do you find being, as you mentioned, the same age as most of the, the average age of most of the players, being 25 years old, you've just became a coach. How did you find that transition? Because that can, I think, be difficult. You've seen in evidence, like Tim Sherwood, for example, I think he became a coach at Spurs quite after, not after he played. You've seen Gareth Southgate at Millsborough, the famous Ray Parler story, where he called him Big Nose in the, in the dressing room as Southgate just became manager. Destroyed the relationship. So how did you find that transition? Um... The, the original thing was Ian Baird was manager at Haven and I, I was playing at a time and that's why I, I wasn't playing there. I hadn't, I hadn't played for two years. That's where I retired from a back injury after three operations. So I hadn't really played, but, but they were my mates and they were my teammates. And he gave me the opportunity when I retired in the summer to, to say, yeah, come in uh, and coach. And, and, but I was only there for two or three months because then he left and got the job at Eastleigh. And then that's when I went as an assistant. So really... I wouldn't really look at my time as having had really having much of an impact and, and really just still one of the lads, if you like, in the dressing room. Uh, but as soon as I went to Eastleigh, it's a clean slate. I'm, you know, I wasn't teammates with them. I'm now coming in as assistant manager, irrelevant at my age, and you earn the respect from your sessions and how you conduct yourself as a person, irrelevant of your age. 
So, you know, you could be 55 or 25 as, as long as you're putting on the right sessions and, and treat the players in the right way for, for what your role is, then I think you get that instant respect. Plus, you know, in, in such a good manager with Ian Baird and how he ran the dressing room and, and, and everything back then, it, there wouldn't be any problems with me or, or the players at the time. And I think he quite liked me being that link and, and that age to, to, to link in between him, him and the players. So, no, I, I didn't find it, um, you know, my first real proper number two role at East. I didn't find it particularly difficult with, with the age the age thing. As I said, I, I had my ideas and the coaching sessions and now I'd seen many coaches and managers work over the years. And, um, you know, Betty, he gave me a lot of responsibility and, and, and led me well through those early years. And um, yeah, it was very good grounding for four years working under him. Eastleigh must be quite a cool just part of the country to play a football. I mean, the weather's not too bad a lot of the year. We had Ben Strevens on a couple of weeks ago and he, okay. was saying, he was saying the exact same thing. He just loves it. He's based in Milton Keynes and he travels every yeah. um, training session, every game, just because he loves the area. I mean, yeah. what are the Eastleigh faithful like to play under? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, listen, it's, it's come on the club from since where I was, since when I was there. Um, but yeah, I was travelling down from Barnet to, to go down there and... and uh, you know the players, the the, uh, the board at the time were excellent. Um, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Eastleigh. And we missed out on the playoffs, uh, unfortunately. We, we should have maybe done a little bit more there. And we we had you know some good, very good times there, and some very good players and and, and some good uh, good sides. Um, but uh, you know, since I left, I think Stuart Donald, who's uh, came in and you know took the club to a new level, really, yeah. with building the stand. And you know, I go back now, and it's not the place that I I was working at. You know, uh, I left there in. 2011, I think. Um, so it's, it's you know it's, it's certainly come on in the, in those last nine years um, in terms of the facilities, the money they've got down there, and, and the level they were at. So um, it's good to see. Uh, so Matt, before we move on to talking about your time as a Sutton United manager, um, you came in in November 2018 as uh, head coach um, to link up with the Embed again. Obviously, you pulled off sales manager at the time. Uh, can you tell me how that sort of uh, came about and how did you find your time uh, as, as being the head coach in that period of time at Sutton? Yeah, I'd lost my job at, uh, at Crawley uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight months before. Um, I really missed the day-to-day. I missed the dress room. I miss coaching the lads, being amongst the lads. Uh, but, you know, I've got a good relationship with people at Millwall and uh, I was... You know, every time I'm out of football, I do a bit of scouting for Millwall. Um, so I, I was scouting for Millwall at the time. But, you know, as, as much as it sort of kept me in the loop with what I was doing, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was desperate to try and get back in and, and get back into a club, wherever that may be. Whether, whether that was a number two or first in coach, League Two, National League, or or whether the opportunity arose for me to, to be a manager. But I certainly didn't come into Sutton at the time knowing I was going to be a manager or, or the manager's job was going to come up. As I said, you know, obviously I've, I've known Ian Baird years. He, he was obviously assistant to Doz, who, who again I've known um, all these years as well, from back from the early Eastleigh days when he, when he was originally there um, for the first few months before leaving and then obviously having a, a slight period out before joining Sutton. So I knew Doz, I knew Birdie, um, and then around that Christmas time, it wasn't six, seven months, I think I'd had a year and a bit out. So I'd been out a fair, a fair, well, a fair while from Crawley probably more like 18 months and I was desperate to get back in and, and, and Birdie just said look you know we're, we're looking at restructuring it a little bit staff wise here um, myself and, and Doz are traveling up from, from the Southampton area we trust you to come in and, and basically coach them on a day-to-day basis and you know but we'll be there match days we'll still pick the team 
and and you know just just come in and and get part of it really, which you know I was pleased to do, and and, and then we'll see where we are come the end of the season, whether you know I get another job opportunity elsewhere, or you know we'll just review at the end of the season on, on where we go. So you know that was that was no problem for me, and I, I was happy with that um, with with that situation. So. Uh, yeah, came in just before Christmas, around mid-December, and, and yeah, and just got you know, coaching with the lads, got on, on the day-to-day stuff, got a few results over the Christmas period, but suffered with quite a bit of injuries second half of the season, and and uh, sort of fizzled away really out of the playoffs, and uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great end to the fin- end to the season to be honest, um, and then you know it was a complete it was a shock to me as it was everybody else with with Dozzy leaving, I had absolutely no idea. Um, you know, does you know, pulled me, barely pulled me, said they were they were gonna leave. You know, does initially had the, the spell out, which you know, I just thought he'd come back and we'd just carry on. Um, but it turns out he wasn't gonna then come back. Barely then, you know, spoke to me and said, Look, do you think you're ready? Do you think you'd want to, to be a manager? I said, Yeah, I think I'm ready and I do want to be. Um, so he said, Look, you know, I'm sure there'd be many, many managers who'd want this job in in uh, in this league and with Sutton um Football club, so you know, do you want me to put your name forward? I was like, yeah, definitely, and uh, had a couple of interviews and and, and got on great with Bruce and, and Adrian and the rest of the board, and you know, thankfully they, they gave me the opportunity, and I, I couldn't be happier. I think that's something that's really key for you that relationship you, you have with the board, and that they've they've taken a chance on uh, on a young manager like yourself for, for a, a big job, and then on league like Sutton United. Yeah, it's, it's, I think you know. <laughs> When, when you're speaking to him, you know, I've got obviously my, my couple of questions that I, I need to be wary of as well because, you know, I, unfortunately, you know, I didn't have, I'm not a household name and a, and a big name that's just going to walk into to whatever job. You know, I've, I've, had, I've done my apprenticeship for 12 years, I've been assistant at several clubs. Um, so when I do make that step to be a number one, I feel I'm probably only really, if, you know, if I fail at that first job, it's going to be very difficult for me to have another go at it. I'm going to may have to look to, to go back as a, as a first team coach or, or an assistant manager. Um, and then then who are you working with as a manager where they think, oh, he's been a manager before. Does he want to be a manager again? Is he after my job? You know, it can now get a little bit political in terms of your role. So you'd have to go in with a manager who you really trust would be willing to give you that, that chance to be an assistant again. So it was very important to me that when I made that step, that's why I was in uh, not any particular rush to do so, that, that I knew it was the right club and the right fit for me to give me the best opportunity to try and succeed at my first job, to then try and obviously start my new career and, and try and be a manager and, and see where that takes me over, however many years of, of trying to be a manager and, and, and be the best you possibly can in, in this new job. Um, so, you know, they certainly had their questions for me, you know, recruitment-wise, with my scouting at Millwall and my knowledge of players of, of, of League 2 and National League of being at the system that I've been at the different clubs was obviously very good uh, and they were pleased on that and you know I just wanted to make sure that you know you know obviously the budget got cut from from Paul Doswell leaving but you know I was making sure it's still competitive and I wasn't sort of going to be hung out to dry and I can still try and shape and get a team on the pitch that I know I can compete at this level and make sure we we're, we can make sure we definitely stay up um, first and foremost, especially in the first season, uh, and you know, and, I, and I'm working, I'm not naming names, but I've, I've had bad experience with owners and, and things over the past, and I was just making sure that my relationship, because it's probably the biggest thing really, is that my relationship with the chairman and the board, if that's strong, and we're both on the same page, and we both allow each other to do our jobs, 
um, then the rest comes, you know, and then I can build my staff around me that is right. Then I can build my players around me. Now I can get the, the, the fans on side on, on which direction we as a club are going to. But if that initial relationship between me and the chairman, me and the board is not right, um, then it's never going to succeed. And I couldn't be happier. <laughs> um, the, the relationship with the chairman and the board is just, I couldn't ask for anything more, uh, especially my first job. Uh, and we've got that there. I've got my staff. I'm building my squad. So hopefully all those things are facing in the right direction to, to, to move Sutton to, to good things moving forward. Um, and how much an advantage did you think it was that you worked with the players a few months prior to taking the job? Yeah, I, th I thought it was a huge advantage, really. Um, really to look at them on a day-to-day on a, a -day basis, looking at them in games, looking at them in training, looking at them as characters, looking at them as people, um, knowing what I want my team to play like, knowing how I want how I want to create something. I thought it was, it was very important. And it gave me a really good grounding. I was very fortunate with that. You know, obviously some players who maybe weren't too keen on my, you know, I didn't keep and I managed to get rid of at the time. I obviously had some uh, players still on contract for the, the following season. So, listen, it's, it's going to take time to, to shape what you want and, and to, to get things how you want it. Um, but I know I've got that time. And, and obviously, after a very difficult start with results, you know, again, it just it goes to show what great people are the board and they stuck by me, never once wavered. Uh, stuck by me, kept supporting me as best they could. And I'm so pleased for everybody that we managed to turn that around. And, and over a period of time, it's now start, it's starting to look like a team that I'm starting to create and I'm starting to get happy with. And just looking at me, me as a person, me as a manager, um, the squad, the staff, all of that to where we were at the start of pre-season last year to where we are now, I feel uh, we've come on leaps and bounds. And one thing I noticed when you became a manager was that you brought in a, a lot of young players to the club. Is that sort of the, the culture that you want to bring bring to the club and you, you want to develop further? Yeah, um, I think I think the, the first thing you look to do is when you get a job is your assistance vitally important. You know, I, I, I was very fortunate to, to inherit Mickey Stevens, Seb Brown, Bobby Charles, uh, the, the backroom staff there I was more than happy with, you know, but to bring my day-to-day -day number two in um, was the first thing I looked to do. And, and Jason Goodliffe, who I've known for many years, and and uh, it was the first first phone call. And, and it was the first one I was trying to get over the line because he, he, he knows everything or what I am. I know exactly what he is. We work so well together. Um, we believe we've got the same philosophies. We know how we want to do things 90% of the way. And that's what I want from my uh, assistant. Whereas you get that 10% where he'll suddenly go, oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? Just to tweak it. But he doesn't start coming up with ideas, the different end of the spectrum where I'm thinking, cool, we're like worlds apart on what we're thinking here. So to get him over the line, first and foremost, was, was huge. And I couldn't be happier with my assistant, um, uh, with Jace. And we get on so well, you know, both at football and, 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 and away from it. But then, then it's trying to build that squad. And, and listen, Tommy, it's obviously budget related a little bit, a little bit. Um, on, on getting younger players because obviously they're going to be cheaper than more experienced league players or players at this level, obviously. But still, still, that's, that's just a small percentage of, of why I'm trying to do it. I, I want, I want, I'm a young, hungry manager and I want young, hungry players. Or I say young, hungry players. I want hungry players and I want players to come here for a reason, for a purpose, whatever that may be, um, to try and drive and have that enthusiasm to go and play for themselves, play for the club and get a result on a Saturday.
So, you know, with, with you say with the young signings that are made, yeah, the more often than not, they have been Ben Goodliffe, Will Randall, David Adjaboys, um, giving those sort of players the opportunity to say, come on, let's work hard with you. Let's give you the opportunity. Let's coach you. Let's work on you. And go on, and you want to play in the football league? You want to go and play as high as you possibly can? Well, let's, let's move you on that way. You know, let, let's, let's have the drive to go and do that. So, you, you know, that's what I'm trying to create here with, with an athletic, hungry team who then I can get organised, work on, and hopefully results come along the way as well. I just want to actually go back to that first game of the season at Hartlepool. Uh, I remember I was there at that game and it was a lovely sunny day and it was just, it was just a perfect performance, uh, wasn't it? And you just couldn't hope for a, a better first game as a manager. And uh, also, what were your emotions like for the game? It must have been, it must have been like excited, nervous feeling. Certainly was, certainly was. And I think where, where I've been an assistant all, all those years and all those clubs and had such big influences on the training and, and, the, and the, the, the actual coaching and, and you know, teams and, and recruitment and everything, it's, it's still, your name's not on the front door. You know, it's still, it's still the manager who will certainly have to take the flak if they start getting bad results. And, and rightly so, he'll get the, the plaudits if, if, if they do well. But, you know, it, it was suddenly... You believe in how you coach, how you play, what you've done in the past. You've now had a pre-season, you put your ideas in, but then you're on the train going to Hartlepool and you're thinking, oh, <laughs> is this definitely now gonna, is this gonna come off now? <laughs> you know, so it, it, it certainly, it, it was a different mindset on the day is, you know, you certainly felt a little bit more pressure and it's a different type of feeling. And where I'd been always very active in the dressing room, like Jason is now and, you know, from half one onwards, he's in the change room like I was, doing all the set pieces, talking to all the players individually, making sure they know all their jobs. That's the assistant's role. Going out a quarter past two, taking the warm-up, you can probably let your nervous energy go there once you're, you're out there with the players and you're kicking a few balls and you're, you're shouting and you're getting them going. And you, but suddenly, I'm half, half one, I'm not doing anything because Jace is. And now at quarter past two, they're all out and I'm sitting in the dressing room going, now what? <laughs> what do I do now? So, <laughs> um, and I, you know, it's now a baking hot day, and I'm sitting in the back of the stand, um, uh, you know, in the shade, and I'm just thinking, you know, you just can't wait for the game to get going, to then suddenly maybe to have your influence, and you know, a great start to early goals, Harry Butman popping up, and yeah, you know, they scored just before half time, changes the team talk a little bit, come out second half, weather the storm, hit one on the counter attack, three one. Perfect start, eh? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, do you know, like, um, when, obviously, you were growing up, Hartlepool would not have been a National League sider in the conference at all. What, was it, what is it like going to the likes of Notts County, going to the likes of Chesterfield, going to the likes of Hartlepool, like, um, and, like, you're a manager there. What, is it not strange for you, given the fact you used to watch them on telly back in the day to where they are now? Yeah, yeah. obviously, listen, all ex-league clubs there you've mentioned, um, big clubs with big fan bases, um, and... I feel probably the help that I've had is I've been to all these before when I was with all the short crawlies or whatever in League Two. So, you know, Hartlepool's not, it's not, it's, these aren't new places that I've been to. These aren't new, you know, I've played, you know, I've been involved with teams standing in technical areas with massive crowds at these grounds, knowing what it's like to try and get a result. Whereas, whereas I'm just supporting the, the manager at the time, it's now you, you're taking it. But, that's where I've got someone 
standing next to me, I feel huge strength from in, in Jason and, and, and Mickey and the rest of the staff as well. That uh, you know, with Mickey's older older head, if you like, you probably won't like me saying that, but you know, he's a very calming influence and probably just you know looks at it very logically and it is a great use to me. So, but with Jace as well, and it was, so it wasn't a shock me going there with the crowd, the grounds, you know, nothing was a surprise. But it's it's just you know, at the end of the day, it's eleven players, eleven v eleven crossing the line, and if you can get your team organised enough and work hard and have the belief and the desire and and it was probably handy that there was quite a big expectation on Hartlepool last season. And I remember looking at their interviews with the manager and the players and the expectation building into Sutton at home on the first game. And we're going here, and I can't remember what the crowd was, say three to 4,000, whatever it was, maybe a touch more, I don't know. Um, all the expectation, first game of the season, they're playing Sutton with, the first, with a new manager. We've got to be getting three points. Um, and it certainly doesn't help when we, we, we've gone come one nil up early, and you know the crowd are even then starting to get a little bit on their back. And um, yeah, it, it, was, it was something we used to our advantage, and, and it paid off. Um, so Matt, actually, I just want to go back to that tough uh, run of form you had. How pivotal was it for you to stay calm and look at the, the positives, positives in the teams? I, I'm always remember you saying that we we're just not getting the results, but the performances are there, and. Obviously, it's just something that you just have to stay calm and uh, uh, keep the team team going. Obviously, as you mentioned, it's paid off. Yeah, I think I think it's just using your experience of being a number two, working under different managers. Now, obviously, those 12 years as an assistant, I've had some great times and some real highs, and I've had some extremely bad lows and some bad runs. And then you're looking at your manager at the time, dealing with those situations, whether it be high or whether it be low. And, uh, you know, and you, and you talk to other other managers and other people in football who, who you get to know and, you know, you go on a couple of courses and, and whatever. And you, you try and get a bit of a grounding on, on not getting too high and not getting too low. And I've certainly been involved in dress rooms and teams where we're on horrendous runs. We're not playing well. And deep down, when you look at us, you're probably going, we are poor. We're not playing well. This, this is not good. And actually, where we, how are we going to get out of this? I didn't ever feel that. At that time of Sutton, I, you know, I felt no. Like I was looking at us in training, and never once did I see any of the lads wave or their their attitude or their determination and the, the tempo and their, you know, they bounce back on a Monday morning and show great attitude to come back in again. And not once did I even feel they wavered. And then the performances were good; they weren't great, but they they were certainly not getting what they deserved. And there'd be many games that we'd come out of and, and get done one nil by missing loads of chances, then nicking one at the other end. And so you, you can't, you know, you can't certainly get too low. You've got to keep going and hope it turns. But on the flip side of it, how long do you keep saying it for? You know, how long do you keep going? Oh, we're unlucky. Oh, it's going to turn. Well, is it? You know, you 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 you've got to maybe now start to think. You know, certainly don't want to make drastic changes. So don't don't want to do anything detriment here that the group of players suddenly think that you don't believe in what you're doing. I stuck to my message, stuck to my plan. Uh, I never wavered. I believed in the group, but I just felt the longer it went, how could I or what could I do to make the slight tweaks and changes to, try to, uh, to turn the fortune and turn the results around? Yeah, and actually moving on to slight tweaks you made to the team, um, something that was really pivotal and something that's pivotal for, for a manager is bringing in new signings, making sure they're right. Uh, you brought back Louis John and you also brought in Nick Zanev. And there was a two-week break from a 1-0 defeat to Barrow to the Torquay game. And those two players came in. Uh, uh, Sutton picked up a massive way win at Torquay. And do, you, do you really think that was the 
big turning point of the season to to really get that side having positive momentum. Yeah, it, it definitely was uh, the turning point with and one with the result on the, on the Saturday uh, away at Torquay. We were probably top. I think they were top of the form table when we were bottom. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was it was an absolute home banker on anyone's coupon. Uh, Torquay at home to Sutton, um, but we we managed to turn it around. So it, it certainly was because of the two signings. Uh, nothing personal, Jamie, but. But I felt I needed to make a change there. Nick Zanev came in, had a great debut and a great season for us. Louis John, Jamie Collins, it was in around the time Jamie was feeling that maybe it was time for him to finish. And Louis John, John came in and uh, was absolutely outstanding for us. But not just those two signings during the week and the result on the Saturday, but suddenly getting Craig Eastman, who had been stop-start injury-wise through pre-season and the first 19 games, because Torquay was our 20th game league game of the season and uh, Craig Eastman coming back fit getting back into the middle of the park I've used him at right back several times because of Dale Bennett's injury and his retirement so I was I had a problem at right back Eastman was outstanding at right back absolutely superb but for me he's one of the best centre midfield players in the league and I need him back in there um, John Barden playing in midfield was doing brilliant for me but I remember having a conversation with him saying look you played right back in your, earlier on in your career do you mind trying to do a job there for me? He played right back that day for the first time. John Barden coming at right back. Ben Wyatt, Rob Milson have been outstanding um, for the first half of the season. He's one of our standout performers, Rob. Um, but he he missed the game through injury. Ben Wyatt had come in, made his debut at Yeovil, came back out of the team because of Rob. Rob was injured. Ben came in. I was actually going to maybe have to let Ben go through sort of budget reasons. I was maybe going to let Ben go. Nothing personal on him as a player. Suddenly he's thrown in the deep end. So not just Nick Zanev, Louis John, Ben Wyatt, bang, left back, John Barden, right back, um, Craig Eastman, centre midfield. Omar was a huge, huge miss for us. I signed Omar Bugel at the start of the season to be our main number nine. I signed Aaron Jarvis to be the young backup. Let's, let's see how he gets on. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for Aaron. Um, but, you know, I felt sorry for him at times because he was chucked in the deep end because I wasn't fit. And for those first 19 games, he had to play a hell of a lot. Uh, and up front many times with well, one or two playing off of him and, and not ideal because of the injuries and the situation that I was in at the time. So I think everything, we were playing well, we weren't getting results, but everything clicked around that week leading up to Torquay with Omar being back fit. Craig Eastman fit, John Barden slotting in at right back and being outstanding, Ben Wyatt, Louis John, Nick Zanif, <laughs> and away we went. I think uh, Omar Bugiel's a player I want to touch on because uh, I've watched him play several times last year and um, we actually interviewed him last summer and uh, just as he signed, it was uh, him and David Adjaboy who we both interviewed and uh, both lovely guys, but what's it like to have Bugiel as a Lebanese international as a standard bearer for the rest of the squad? It, it, it's again, it was a good signing with the ambition and the drive he wanted. He had a bit of stop start season at Bromley and he wanted to get back playing and, and scoring goals. Uh, and he certainly had that hunger and drive to come in there. Um, being a Lebanese international, you know, it's great, great kudos for him and the club. You know, sometimes the international break, we don't get international breaks, so sometimes <laughs> I could lose him for a game or two, which I'm not overly happy about. Uh, and also how far away it is and the travelling he's got to do. Uh, and he played North Korea away last year. And which, Pyongyang. Uh, sorry? Did he go to Pyongyang? I'm not sure exactly where he went to, but he, he went, obviously played North Korea away. Hell of an experience. Um, so, 
yeah, pros and cons with it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but no, you know, a really good signing for us and, and someone I'm, I'm really pleased we've got going and, and got playing for us and scoring goals and, and hopefully has a great season for us. I know Tom's got a few more questions about the kind of season just gone. I wanted to ask you from the manager's perspective. Now, if we know for a fact a few of the players do listen, so you might want to be a little bit careful of your answer. Who's the biggest joker in a dressing room? Craig Eastman. <laughs> Second question. Who's the, big, who's the hard man? Who's the hard man? Well, listen, naturally, you'd, you'd look... Ben Goodliffe certainly wouldn't choke out of anything, nor would Louis John. And I'm actually saying that because they're centre-halves. Uh, ben Wyatt, you know, John Barden, they're very competitive back four. Uh, I don't think there's a, a standout character there. Um, Milson. Rob Milson, yeah. Yeah, Milson. Who wouldn't you like to meet down at Dark Adelaide, Greg? I was going to say, I was like, I'm, a, I'm a Celtic fan. So I was at Celtic Aberdeen in November 2010 where he played for Aberdeen. And we won 9-0. And he was playing against uh, Scott Brown in the, mid- in the midfield. So I hope he's not listening because I wouldn't like to owe the guy money. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. don't mention that to him, Matt. It was a good battle, was it? Listen, I- I'm our very competitive um, centre-forward as well. And uh, listen, I think we've got a-, a good, strong, competitive team. But there's, there's-, there's no one I'm sort of uh, looking after to try and calm down, really, thinking he's going to do something stupid in a minute. <laughs> Um, yeah, so actually there was a, a period over Christmas time where Sutton just came alive, scoring plenty of goals. So we had a, uh, Sutton beat uh, Wrexham, Woking, uh, so Woking twice, uh, along with big names like Wrexham and Yeovil. Um, and it was a 6-2 win against Woking on New Year's Day. Um, did you think after that Woking game, coming into 2020, obviously we know the, the way the season ended, but at that period of time, do you think Sutton, this is the team I, I envisioned when I joined the club, and this is the way I want us to play. And you really think that Sutton were now that the attacking team you wanted want them to be as well as being defensively stable and they yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean I was I was trying to get there in the, the early stages, it just wasn't working. Yeah. We were were a little bit unfortunate. You do need a little bit of luck, of course you do. We were unlucky at times. But also personnel wise, we just improved, like I've just mentioned there. We just improved down the spine of our team and got those key players fit. Now you can be the best coach in the world and you can have the best philosophy, but if you haven't got the players who can go on the pitch and do it for you, it doesn't work. Um, but it, it, it clicked in that we've got the right players fit. Tommy Wright as well coming in, not a talkie, but a little bit after that, probably a month later, him coming back, fit and firing as well. So suddenly, you know, you've got Tommy and Omar up front, Eastie back in the middle of the park, Louis John, Ben Goodliffe, outstanding. And then you've got your pace, your power out wide with your Will Randalls uh, and your David Adger boys, Harry Butman's energy, legs, getting forward, getting goals. Your experience of Kenny Davis in the middle, Rob Milson coming back as well. You know, we've got a real good mix there. And I said it from day one, what what entertains me as a fan, as a player, what I've played against, what I've played with, you know, the, the teams I've even watched going back to the Barnet days where they were free-flowing, uh, attack, 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 pace, power. Um, I love crosses in the box. I love goal mouth action. I don't like to see 15 passes in your own half and you haven't still got over the halfway line uh, and you're trying to roll it out to a centre-half from a goalkeeper. That that doesn't entertain me one little bit. What entertains me is goals and, and chances. Uh, and I love seeing pace and wingers and people go past people and exciting players. And But on the flip side of it, I've got a defensive men- mentality alongside Jason and 
I, I want to be organised and I want to be hard to beat and I don't want to give anything away and I don't want teams to come and roll us over. Uh, and I want if, if someone beats us, they're going to have to earn it. But on the flip side of it, I want to really go and hurt teams with, with what I've just said there. And that certainly was us over that period, uh, Tom. And, you know, we I couldn't wait for the next game. The home form, we were exciting, we were counter-attacking. Uh, I'm sure we, we were feared by many opponents. Yeah, obviously, uh, after that, it took us a while, uh, took Sutton a while to get a win. But something that did stand out to me is that the amount of clean sheets and the, the, the little amount of goals Sutton conceded. And, and also, it was just a lot of a period where there was just a lot of draws after that, that Woker win. But there were, there were still draws where, like, for example, the Barrow 2 2, one of the most entertaining National League games I, I watched last season. It was absolutely, yeah. absolutely brilliant. I was always felt that Sutton could get result in a game and just the defensive solidity. And actually, there were also, also there was um, wins against Bromley and Torquay not long before lockdown. So that just the, the way the team's shaping up and, and 2020 has, has been a, a really good year year for Sutton, just the way now that the, the, the team's shaping up. And it, it looks like now that the team can really push forward. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just... Even though we're, you know, we're starting to get there on, on, on what we want with the squad that we're, we're creating and, and the performances and the, and the results that we're getting, it's still always, you know, and, and using lockdown and, and meeting Jason and the rest of the staff on Zoom meetings and, and reflecting and then me watching all the games back. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Tom, it was only the last 19 I watched back. <laughs> I didn't watch the first 19 <laughs> because, because that's where I feel where we're coming on to now. And that's where I want us to try and finish. So I've watched the last 19 games back and really being one positive and praising us and going, we've got to keep that up because that is very good. And on the flip side of it, we need more of that and we need to be better at that. And we're constantly looking to improve, constantly looking to get better at things. And I don't think we scored enough goals from set pieces, um, but we, we defended them superbly and our record against was excellent. And even, you know, our, our, like you said, our defensive, I think, Away from home, we had we only conceded 16 goals in 19 league games away from home, which is just outstanding. If we could get anywhere near that this season, I'd be absolutely thrilled. And, um, you know, I think the next team was Barrow, and they were about five goals worse than us. So, you know, if, if, if we can make sure we can be organised, tight, hard to beat, strong from defensive set pieces, but then on the flip side, pace, power, crosses coming into the box and add a few more goals set piece-wise, that could be the difference from those draws, turning them into wins. Uh, and hit the ground running with a good start, then and hopefully we can have a good season. Yeah, now looking at the new season, um, uh, pretty much nearly everyone from last season assigned new contracts, but you've also brought in um, Buzanis and Sho Silva. Um, what do you think they can bring to Sutton United? Yeah, we, we, listen, we've, we spoke about uh, Zanev and, and the, the positive impact and how well he did for us um, coming in. And, you know, I was the first to admit publicly that I'd be desperate to keep him again and I'd love him to be my number one for this season. Um, so we had to see how things developed there over the summer. Um, I suppose it was a couple of months ago now, uh, probably a little bit longer, when I, I rang Wimbledon and said, look, you know, is this likely? Is it a yes? Is it a no? Or is it, should we just hold on for a bit longer? Because um, I'm prepared to wait. It was a definite no. He wasn't going to be coming out on loan. He was going to be staying with Wimbledon and in their, in their plans with the first team. So, as disappointing news that that is, we have to move on. Um, and now, now we're getting onto the recruitment thing again and, and putting the feelers out. And, and this came through Jason and the contact he's got of a goalkeeping coach at Arsenal. And he just said, look, the Arsenal ladies are signing a player who's coming over from Australia and 
her partner is Dean Bazanis, used to play for Liverpool, and, and Oldham, he's 29, played for Melbourne City. Would this be of interest? Um, so, listen, we had other options, and we, we certainly spoke to or, or looked into other avenues of goalkeepers. Um, but I had a couple of Zoom meetings, because I didn't go and meet him personally in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> we had a couple of uh, Zoom meetings with, with, with Dean, watched hours of videos, games he played in, uh, and I think with his age, his determination, he wants to be a league goalkeeper again. Well, great, come you know, come and play for us for a period of time and, and get to where you want to go. So he's got that hunger again, uh, what, I, what I touched on earlier. So he's um, he's uh, come in, and he's uh, you know the weeks we've been in pre-season, I've been absolutely totally impressed with him. His, his winning mentality, his driving training, his organisation. He's a leader. He's a great character. Uh, his distribution, shot stopping. Hopefully, you know, you will see him in the first game the other night. Uh, he'll get more minutes again tomorrow and build it up over pre-season. But hopefully we've got a top, top goalkeeper there for us uh, who will do really well. Um, you know, as I, as I said earlier, you know, I didn't feel it really worked out for Aaron Jarvis with us. Um, you know, I, I allowed him to move on. And, and uh, well, I felt it was we, we couldn't rely with us playing 10-month season squeezed into nine months. I couldn't rely fully on Omar to be our, that physical outlet presence that our, we want and need uh, up front. Um, as much as Omar will do brilliant for us when he's out there, I don't feel I'm going to get probably 46 games and 90 minutes every week out of him. So I need to know that we don't have a similar scenario like we did for the first 19 games where we hugely miss him. So um, someone in Toby Show Silver, who's London-based, who's been around the level, who's played for several teams, who brings us that physical attributes of pace, power, dominant in the air, that I could easily play them both together. I wouldn't have any um, problems playing them both together because they'd be a right handful and not many uh, defences want to play against Joe Silva and Omar Bugel uh, as a pair. But not only that, if one or either of them uh, had to have a spell out um, of the team through injury or suspension, that I, could, I still had that one who would give us something uh, with that physical presence. And then, you know, who's that who I play alongside and Kellen Keeley or still maybe looking to bring another one in. So, um, yeah, that, that was what I what I see with the two signings. Um, who, who both, as I said about Dean and, and Toby as well, been great characters and been hugely impressed with them as people as well as players in the short time they've been at, at the club. Yeah, it was it was certainly uh, key to get someone who was similar similar style of striker to Isaac Alafe because I thought him and Omar Bugel linked up brilliantly last season. So uh, again, now playing that yeah, playing that front two, I could I could see when I'm watching the team. Got Randall Najibor on the wings. Butman scored 15 league goals. By the way, that that's sensational. And the two strikers, it it just looks like it's shaping up really nicely now. And to get Show Silver, who's quite a similar player to Isaac Alafe, he's now gone Scotland. Um, yeah, it, it, everything's really shaping up now, and that sort of four-four-two that you really like playing. Yeah, and I, you know, ideally, hopefully, I, I mean, I had a chat with with Bruce and, and AB yesterday, and and hopefully, I can maybe try and bring one more in as well um, to just give us a, that maybe a little bit different dimension. Whether that's a pure goal scorer, whether that's the quick pace one in behind, you know, I'm still working on that at the moment. But uh, yeah, certainly with Keeley, Show Silver, Bugel. If I can add one more into the mix, then and hopefully we've got goals there. Um, I just wanted to touch upon um, your relationship uh, with with the fans. Um, how have you found interacting with them? And I've noticed you've got a, a big flag now. Uh, I forgot what it says now, but there's a big flag of you 
um, from the I think the Sutton youth boys have made the flag and it, it looks it looks brilliant. So that must be a great feeling for you. Yeah, yeah, lovely to have a flag. Yeah, it's, it's some. I think the word "boards" in there somewhere, Tom. I can't remember exactly. I can't remember exactly what it says. So I wasn't too sure initially, but no. That, that, listen, I think the. Uh, I think it's really important. You know, we're a real family club. It's a really good family community club, and I've been so impressed with with every aspect of it. And I'm absolutely honoured and privileged to be manager of it. And I'm, I'm so pleased with every aspect of the club and the supporters. You know, they, they've didn't know me initially, you know, we did go for a bad run. They stuck with me. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to think that I'm pretty open and honest and I'll say when we've done well and I'll say when we haven't and they'll get a true reflection after games and I'll be honest where we're at at different stages in the season and hopefully they can see and relate to that honesty. But also I do feel it's uh, vitally important that, you know, when we travel on away games, like we went to Stockport and we came back to Houston or King's Cross, I can't remember. And, a few of the supporters are going, getting off the train with us and going and having a, a pint upstairs. And all right, let's, let's go and have a pint together. You know, let's roll it together. They've come and spent their day and to support us. So I've thoroughly enjoyed going to see them, speak to them. I've actually come quite close to a few of them. And, um, you know, to, to go in the bar at home games, win, lose or draw, um, myself, Jason, will always be in there and the staff. Um, I'm, I'd like to think I'm very approachable. Uh, come and ask me anything you want. I'll give you an honest answer, whether you, whether you agree with it or you don't. That football's a game of opinions, and I'll tell you how I feel and where I'm at. Um, but the supporters, I'm pleased they've stuck with us through that run, and you know now they're hopefully seeing what I want to try and create. And, uh, and as I said right at the start of this, that all aspects of Sutton United Football Club are pulling in the right direction and facing the right way, and, and hopefully that just breeds success. And there it is. Oh, sorry, Matt. No, so I was, I was going to say, do you like after the games go into the bar to have a pint with the fans and that? Definitely, yeah, every game. That's the definition of a community club. I mean, like, yeah, and that's yeah. probably what's missing. I think you do get a lot of defectors who go from league, the, the league system to go to watch the National League game because there is that community connection. There is that. There's not really a disconnect between the, the fans and the, and, and the kind of club as you get higher up in the pyramid you go. Is that something you relish as part of the National League system? Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's actually the same, actually, because, you know, the, the higher you go up, you know, you, you're in your car, you're where you go, you don't have any relationship with the supporters. Um, you, you never actually get to speak to them, voice their opinions. And I, I think it actually helps. It helps, you know. It, it certainly helped me through the bad run where they're coming up to me. And I, I remember a couple of games, Billy Ricky at home when we were in the FA Cup when the goalkeeper scored late on and, you know, I certainly wasn't going to shirk that and, and drive in my car and get away. So I stayed in the bar and there was a little bit of frustration and a little bit of anger. But, OK, well, talk to me and do you not feel, think I'm feeling the same? You know, mm -hmm. but that's my job to now try and work on it and change it. And I will. I actually agree with what you're saying. But give me a little bit of time and I'm going to change this and I'm going to get this right. Um, so I think it actually can help at times um, for them to understand where you're at and, and how you're trying to do things. But also... It's also good that when we get a great win, um, when we beat Yeovil at home in front of the TV camera, or whatever it may be, that um, you know you, you come in the bar after and there's that real good feel-good factor and people can enjoy the, the good times with you as much as they can have a chat with you when things aren't going so great. And I think that's vitally important and something, obviously, the bigger you go and the higher you go is, you know, I'm not going to be able to go, you know, if you're Tottenham manager, you're not going to go in the bar and have a chat. <laughs> There's too many bars to go into, let alone anything else. <laughs>
Which would you mean the cheese and wine bar, or do you mean the actual pub? <laughs> well, Matt, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Um, however, every guest we have on, we may or may not subject them to what we call the gun to your head round. So we'll ask you some quick fire questions, and you respond as if you had a proverbial gun to your nut. All right? <laughs> Are you game for this? You didn't warn me about this, Greg. We never want any of our guests, man. That's what keeps it authentic. <laughs> no so, problem. Question number one. Favourite song of all time? I've got a gun to my head and I can't think of one, Greg. <laughs> Favourite song of all time? Uh, I'll say one of the Taz and Dave songs. Not bad. Favourite movie of all time? I'm not a massive movie uh, lover, Greg. Not massively into my films. Probably one of the old school gangsters. Probably Lockstock. Nice. Favourite holiday destination? Tough one. Probably a golf in Portugal. Not bad. Favourite player of all time? Paul Gascoigne. I knew it. Everyone says that. I don't know why, <laughs> man. Eh? Like, is it because he destroyed Scotland's Euro 96 hope single-handedly? Is that why that, you that were saying was, that? That was a big plus, Greg, yeah. But uh, obviously being a Spurs fan and being about 10 years old when he signed. Uh, he was outstanding for Tottenham in that, that cup run. And finally, the favourite match ever watched? Ever watched? Again, loads have just come into my head there, Greg. England ones and, and different ones. But I feel for pure atmosphere, being locked in after for an hour, it'd probably have to be uh, Ajax in the Champions League semi-final when I was there last year. And, uh, was that again? Locked. Yeah, I went, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was to, to be in the away end at Ajax uh, and be three 0 down at half time, sitting there and coming back and uh, and doing that and seeing Tottenham in a Champions League final, and I went to that as well. But obviously, not not the same as beating Ajax and with the comeback that was because that was just a surreal night. <laughs> the irony is, I actually don't think that was Tottenham's best team in the last twenty years. Like no. Ajax were a better team, in my opinion, that night. Yeah, but what a night! <laughs> oh, what a night indeed, I What a night indeed. And that's a memory you'll have for a lifetime. Well, now we know more inside the life and football mind of Matt Gray. Thanks once again for coming on Not The 92 Podcast, Matt. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure, Tom, Greg. Well done. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. We will, we will endeavour to. Yeah. As always, it's been a pleasure to give you a candid insight into key individuals in the non-league world. Please do remember to follow us on Twitter at nt92pod or on Instagram at nt92underscorepod. And if you have any questions for us, please do get in touch via email at podcast at notthe92.com. God bless, stay safe, and we'll be back with you very, very soon for another exclusive interview. Who is next? Watch this space. Bye-bye for now.